Let's open up our Bibles, if you would, to the book of Psalms. The longest psalm in the book of Psalms is 119. It's quite long, and I just have one verse of Scripture to start us off, and I hope to be able to help you today. I want to invest some hope and some answers for you to take to the car where you drove here with and maybe to the restaurant. And if I can get you out early enough, you can beat the Baptist at Luby's. You've already missed the Catholics. They've already hit Luby's. But there is a good possibility that by the time you even get through all of your eatings for lunch, the sermon may actually last that long in your spirit. That is my hope, to help you change some of the things that we've been doing in our life in way of habits, in way of, well, bad self-talk. And I want to relate it to some scriptures, if you would. Psalms 119 and 83, it says here that David said this. He says, for I am become like a bottle. Let's all say bottle. Bottle. Now this is in the King James Version and also in the New King James Version possibly, but yours may say a different word, but I'll explain that in a minute. For I have become like a bottle in the smoke. Let's all say in the smoke. He didn't say the smoke was in the bottle. He just said the bottle was in the smoke. He feels like that bottle, yet I do not forget thy statutes. I don't forget the Ten Commandments. I don't forget the Talmud. I don't forget the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He says, I remember all those things, but I still feel like I'm standing in smoke like a bottle. I want to preach on this thought as fast as I can. The fire has passed. Get out of the smoke. The fire has passed. Get out of the smoke. I hope this helps you. First of all, what in the world does a bottle mean? Uh, They didn't have the glass bottles that I'm referring to. I'm more referring to really what David was saying. It was more like a canteen made of leather. It was large. It was either drinking water where you would tip it upside down and kind of squeeze it, and water would shoot into your mouth, and they would use this in the wilderness, or possibly it held wine. Uh, But the skin, if you would, was really like leather. It was like maybe boot leather or whatever you can imagine. Uh, This type of leather needed to be taken care of, so they probably had some type of moisturizer so it wouldn't crack, so it wouldn't shrink. Kind of like your cowboy boots or maybe your shoes or maybe your belt. I I was mentioning to the 9 o'clock service, uh, I'm 59 this year, and I met somebody just about a few years ago that was my age, and he still has his high school belt he wears. How does he fit in that belt? It just goes right on like it was nothing at all. It, you know, I would take two belts for me to get around this girth. But nevertheless, he, he, he still has his belt and he still has his original comb in his back pocket that he carried when he was in high school. My comb doesn't last three days, you can tell. I can't find it. I can't find that. I can't find anything. I lose my keys, my cell phone. I'm not anything like your pastor, Pastor Frankie. I don't think he loses anything. I don't think he's ever lost anything. Everything is just like so awesome. He's the, uh, he's my son, but he is the faster, better, quicker, more up-to-date. He's the 2.0 of the Mazapikas, yeah. Uh, when it comes to being a pastor. I've got other children that are remarkable in their own areas as well, which is really a lot of fun. I have six children and four grandchildren, and three of them go to this church, 
What's so amazing is that only my daughters, I have three daughters and three sons, only my daughters attend my church. I don't know, what, what am I, chopped liver? I don't know what the deal is. No, I'm just kidding. My son Jonathan, does uh, anybody love my son Jonathan back there? Ladies, he's cute. He needs a wife. Okay, going on. <laughs> I'm sure it'll help the staff if he gets married. Anyways, uh, this type of canteen, if it's held in the sun too long without attention, or more importantly, if this leathern canteen is held in the smoke too long, it begins to shrivel, it begins to shrink and get hard and starts to crack, and it'll begin to leak, and it's just absolutely non-flexible. If it stays in its right shape, a camel can step on it, or a wagon train can go drive right over it, and nothing will harm it because it has that flexibility about it. David says, I, I feel like I'm a bottle. I feel like I'm a, a leather canteen in smoke. He didn't say anything about fire. He says, I feel like I'm in smoke. I'm going to get back to that in just a little bit, but I want to talk to you about two different kinds of fire. Then I'll get back to how David felt, because David, throughout all of Psalms, did a lot of, not complaining, but a lot of internalizing out loud through his songs and his poems. It's a funny thing, because he, he wrote such beautiful songs, didn't he? He was a poet, but he was a crazed chieftain killer. He was a major marauding, invading king. He was a great soldier. So he could spill blood all day long and then sit down and write Psalms 23. It's an amazing thing. But he was very internalizing. And his internalizing helped us because when we read Psalms, we often say, that's me. That's just like me. How often have we read Psalms and said, that's exactly how I feel? I'm going to get back to that. Just remember, uh, he feels like he's in smoke. Let me tell you about the two kinds of fire. Everybody say fire. The first kind of fire is really important. This, kind of side, this side of the church is a little bit quiet, so let me preach to you a little bit. The first kind of fire is the judgment fire. The judgment fire is the fire God is going to send this earth, this world, in the end. It is the judgment for wicked people. It is the judgment for those ungodly people. You know, we don't find a lot of churches talking about hell a lot. Whatever happened to hell? Whatever happened to sin? I don't know what happened to it, but it's still there. It's not a church growth thing to preach about hell. You, you have a lot of growth here, and that's, I'm happy for you, but uh, I've taught my children to, to remember that heaven is as real as hell is, and hell is as long as heaven is. Well, God is one day, he's going to judge this earth. And that first fire that I was speaking about is what I'm referring to. It is the fire of judgment where the earth is reserved unto fire, not with a flood. The Bible says that God originally destroyed the entire earth with water, a flood. He literally flooded the earth so much that it was one big ball of water, one big oblate spheroid, which is like flat at the top, flat at the bottom, and wide at the sides. Now, you can't tell when you look at it from a picture, but it's not completely round because it really is a ball of water, almost like a water balloon sitting on a table. And that's exactly what happened. God flooded it. He actually took the earth and brought it all the way back to the first day of creation and started all over again. 
Because if you read Genesis 1 and 1 and Genesis 1 and 2, the Bible talks about the beginning of the earth. In the, begin, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and vo- void, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. There was no land yet. There was no continents yet. The only difference between the first day of creation with all that water and the, the day of the flood was that there was a boat on the water. There was no boat at the beginning because there was no people. Actually, there was not even any trees. Think about that. It was an amazing thing where God started things all over again with water. He says, I'll never do that ever again. I'll never flood the earth ever again in way of judgment. So he set a rainbow in the sky. Prior to this, evidently, there was no such thing as a rainbow. But after the flood, he set a rainbow in the sky, and it's much like a bow. He said, I set my bow in the sky, which if you were to pick it up, it'd be like a bow. It's not a circle, it's a bow, kind of like he shot the earth with a flood. So he made a covenant with us. I'll never do that again. However, I'll do it a different way. The next time I do it, it's going to be with fire. Everybody say fire. fire. Let me show you a scripture. It's in Second Peter. I believe it's in chapter number three, uh, chapter three, verse seven. But the heavens, which is really the sky, not where God lives, is three heavens, the sky, space, and where God lives. This is the atmosphere. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire. The earth and the, uh, the heavens, the sky, is reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition, which means sin, of who? ungodly men. That's who it's reserved for. It's not reserved for you as the church. You need, you need to be out of here before that happens, by the way. Just a little hint. You don't want to be on the earth when he, when he puts it on fire. Is, is, that a good, is that a good counsel? Okay, I'm trying to help you here. I don't want to be there. Look to somebody and say, you don't want to be there then. Tell somebody that. You don't want to be there when he just totally ignites the whole earth with fire. This is reserved for people that do in, uh, indiscriminate crimes, people that just kill just to kill, like ISIS going around beheading little children indiscriminately. Indiscriminate means it doesn't have any value. I'll, do, I'll cut your head over here and I'll cut your head off over here and I don't even know who's behind me, but I'm just going to shoot behind me. That's indiscriminacy. It means I don't care. Nobody has any value. Everybody's on the same plane. And that's exactly what's going on these days. Crime has is, is never been like this. Lawlessness, etc. This is the ungodly. This is the wicked. I believe, and I mentioned it to the 9 o'clock service, and I hope this helps you. For those of you that are always suffering, worrying about whether you're going to go to heaven or not because you have sinned. I want you to know that there's a big difference between people that are wicked and people that are weak. You may sin quite frequently, I might add, but it doesn't mean that you're a wicked man. It doesn't mean that you're a wicked person. It just means that you're a weak person. We're all, in many ways, weak without the Holy Spirit. We hope that as we get older in the Holy Spirit, we get strength and we are no longer weak or we're not easily snared. We're not easily trapped like a bear trap where you're walking along and your foot gets into a bear trap and you're stuck with that sin that easily besets us, the Bible says. It gets a hold of you and you can't move forward or backwards because you're stuck in it. I could use examples, but they'll chase after it for 15 minutes and we'll never get back on time. 
There's a, a, a real reason why we are weak, and, and the reason for it is maybe because you're young. That's like one reason. The Bible says, flee from youthful lusts. The difference between a 55-year-old man and a 15-year-old boy is unbelievable when it comes to youthful lusts. The difference between a 19-year-old girl and a 99-year-old woman, tremendous difference. So that's number one. Young people are weak in that way. Not all, but most. It's, some of it is just natural. It's a matter of survival. They're looking for a husband. They're looking for a wife. Other things happen in the middle that are ungodly. That doesn't mean that they're wicked. It just means they're weak. The same also among us. Many of us could be in the church for 20 and 30, 40 years serving the Lord, but we never really ever learn, do we? It just seems like we're always weak. Paul says, when you should have been teachers, you have need to be taught yourself the principles, the original principles of baptism, the original principles of everything, where you're still asking those unbelievably foolish questions after 30 years of church and 30 years of Jesus Christ, why does bad things happen to good people? Please spare me. I went through that when I was a teenager. I understood the answer to that. So there's reasons why we're weak, but it doesn't mean that you're wicked. Now, I will say that it's not a license for you to sin. When you're weak, uh, there is most likely a time where you're going to pay the consequence for that. Everybody say consequence. Consequence means that you're going to have to reap what you have sown. If you throw orange seeds on the ground and you water it, don't expect an apple tree to pop up. You've sown seed, and you're hoping for apples, and up comes an orange tree. You sowed, you reaped what you sowed, and and so if you're sowing evil, evil comes into your life. If you sow ridiculous actions in your life, terrible, ridiculous things happen to you. Weak people often will do premeditative sin. Hoping and believing that God is a just God, but he is also a merciful, graceful God, that he will forgive you so you can premeditate a sin. Like, I'm going to sleep with her, I'm going to sleep with him, and after it's all over, God will forgive me because he's a forgiving God. There's a problem with that kind of thinking. Now, I'm not questioning your, your salvation here, but I will say this. God says, God shall not be mocked. Whatever you sow... That is what you will reap. There's other times where even though you're weak, more tragic consequences can happen where it mentions in 1 John where it says, and this is a bad part, where there are some sins that lead unto death and other sins that lead not unto death. In other words, some sins are so bad that you really have ruined it for the rest of your life on the earth. It doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven. You may end up in death row. You may end up in jail, from one jail to another, from one prison to another. Or you may end up in a, a, a terrible revolution of, if you would, of relationships. A woman came up to me and says, would you marry me and my boyfriend? I says, have you ever been married before? She says, yeah. I said, well, how many times? She says, 10. I said, you know what? I think that there's a law in Texas that they don't allow any more marriages after 10. She goes, really? 
yeah, I think that's a law. But something should have kind of like happened to you like five guys ago. It's kind of like what Elizabeth Taylor told all of her eight husbands. I won't keep you very long. You should have laughed harder than that. Forget it. It's too late. Forget about it. But there is a, there is a consequence that leads to a time where you have to suffer your whole life over that. I'm here to tell you that there really is that fire that comes in now. Here's a different kind of a fire. It's called the fire of purging. A purging fire. Let's all say purging. This is a better fire. This is the kind of fire that every Christian should expect to happen in your life. This kind of a purging fire is a fire that comes in your life that makes you a better person by putting fire underneath your feet, if you would, in ways of events, in ways of moments where you're good, but he's going to make you better. Where he says, maybe I've quoted this already, he says about the church, I'm preparing a church that's going to be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The sin that is besetting you, he's not going to tolerate that. He's going to help you through that. But he helps you often through it, through revelation, through the Bible, through preaching and teaching, like right now it's what's just happening, and I'm throwing just lots of seed out there, and I'm kind of like spraying and praying, just hoping that I'm helping you in one way, shape, or form. I'm really believing that right now. I haven't come to get help from you. I've come to bring help. Can you say amen to that? As soon as I'm done, I'm going to be gone, and, and Pastor Frankie can fix everything I've screwed up since I've been here. So you just deal with him. He, 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 knows, he knows me. He used to follow me around when I was an evangelist when he was just a little boy. There's so much to say about this purging fire. Uh, what it is really is like when fire is being put under gold. Do you know that 24 karat gold is very soft? It scratches really easy. You can actually run your fingernail across it and you can actually scratch it with your finger. And that's the reason why we don't always want a, a ring that is 24 karat gold because it's, it's so pliable. It's so, uh, well, you can bend it. You can actually take your finger and bend it right in your hand if it was a ring. So it, you may say, well, what, what do I want? Well, 10 karat gold is a much cheaper kind of gold, but it's very hard. And the reason why it's hard is because there's other things in it other than gold. It has other kinds of metal. So the closer you get to the 24 karat the closer you get to pure gold. And pure gold is pretty much what I just mentioned. I think I said that right. So when you put fire under it, all of the impurities and other metals and whatever else is in it will come to the top like a foam or even like a, a, a mud, if you would. And, and, the, and the, uh, the guy that's taking care of this will take a, 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 like a scooper and take out all the dross, all the yuck that's coming out of it. This is what God does with us. He, he purges us of everything that is not supposed to be in us. That's why he doesn't walk around our sins. He doesn't walk around our sorrows. He deals with everything that we've pushed down. Every moment that has brought heartache and sorrow in your life, the time that you were sexually abused, the time that your parent died, the time that you found out that uh, some catastrophic, that, that your father wasn't really your father, something that really set you back, the time where somebody beat you up, the time where you felt abandoned, the time where you lost your job, the time where you were humiliated, whatever it might be, this is where God is going to deal with that. He doesn't just let it be inside of you. 
He sets a fire under you. It's the purging fire. Not everybody understands that. As a matter of fact, let me show you a scripture in the book of Daniel that talks about the differences. It says here, many shall be purified. Let's all say purified. That's done with fire. It's maybe happening to you right now as I'm talking to you. You may be right in the middle of being purified. Let me say this. It's just your turn. It's just your moment. This is your season of purification. It may be ours tomorrow. We may be all going through it at the same time for all I know. But it says here, many shall be purified and made white and tried. Or tried. Uh, trial. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. They're not going to get it. But the wise shall understand. So mature Christians understand the difference of fire. They know that God loves them, so that the fire they're experiencing is always going to be trustworthy fire. Whenever I'm going through hell and high water, I know that God does not have a two-by-four with a nail at the end of it, beating me half to death because he's mad and he hates me. That is not God. Can you say, that's not God? That is not the judgment. He does not do that. What he wants to do is make me better. So when I'm going through hell and high water, that just means he's getting something out of me, like dross out of me, so I can be a better person. I get that. And I want you to get that. Whatever you're going through, mature Christians never go, what in the world are you doing to me? If you were really God, you wouldn't let this thing happen to me. See, that means you don't understand. You are going to not be a wicked person because of it, but you fall into the uh, ignorance of an over-wicked person, where it said in the scripture that the wicked do not understand. You see, an immature Christian which is a Christian that doesn't get it, every time they get purified or purged, they feel like they've been done an injustice. Why did this happen to me? Why did, I, why did my car get taken away? Why did I lose this? Why did somebody, so-and-so die? Why, why did I lose my job? Why did I get a flight? Why does this stuff happen to me? Well, much of it teaches you perseverance. But more importantly, it teaches you faith in God. Like, I can go back and say, I've done that before. I remember when I was coming to Luke's birthday party, and I was driving in from Mumble, and as I was on my way, I had my two daughters, Izzy and Abby, and they were quite young at the time. And I don't even know where I was. I was completely lost. I don't understand the woodlands at all. It's all over the place to me. I'm trying to get there, and all of a sudden, kaboom, my back tire blew. I pulled it into a parking lot. The girls got out and they saw a flat tire for the first time in their life. And they started screaming. I didn't know what they were screaming about. I came back around and go, what's the matter? What's the matter? Look at our car. It's dead. They never saw a flat tire before. I said, oh, please. What are we going to do? You see the immaturity here? I said, I've had a million flat tires in my life. A million, save one. I said, get in the car, run the air conditioner, and daddy will fix it. So I'm out there, they're looking out the window, pressed against <laughs> And I'm going, <laughs> breaking those lug nuts, <laughs> and trying to 
get it cranked up and looking for the tire. And I'm sweating and got a white shirt on. It's not white anymore. And I'm pulling it out. The grease is everywhere. I pull out the old one and put that to the side. Put the new one in there. And they're they're watching. They're screaming still. (laughs) Strangely enough, before God, about three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I hit a pothole and blew a tire. Guess who was in the car with me? (laughs) Izzy and Abby. Do you know what they did? They didn't even take out their earphones. (laughs) I'm out there, same as the person that they saw years ago. (laughs) But they've been through something. They're not in the car going, God, why are you doing this to us? Because they become more mature through fire of purging. I'm still singing hallelujah. I don't think God's mad at me. Because I know in the end, everything's going to be all right. Can you say praise the Lord to that? That's why it's so important for us to always have purging because we build faith. I have a little bit of a limp to my walk spiritually because I've been through some things. You know, I'm able to lead people because I've been preaching for over 36 years. That's older than my son is alive, I've been preaching. And while I'm limping, and I look, there may be a, a big hole in the ground, and I'll say, watch out, everybody, for the hole. Now, that hole is a spiritual hole. I can tell people that because I fell in it. Watch out for that bear trap. It really hurts when you put your foot in there. It really hurts, and you're going to need help to get out of it. And sometimes you need the help of your brethren to get you out of some things. Sometimes we are so on fire by being purged, we need others to intercede for us. Sometimes we are not strong enough to even pray for ourselves. You know, sometimes we get sick to the glory of God. I know that goes against the prosperity message. I'm sorry uh, that, that you don't agree with me, but you do have a right to be wrong. There was a woman with an issue of blood in the Bible for 30 years, and they said, whose reason? Why is, she, why is she so sick for so long? They've prayed for her a million times. Is it because of her sin? Is it because of her family's sin? So, and Jesus said, neither of which. She's been sick for the glory of God for this very moment. And Jesus healed her, and everybody freaks out of their lid. Because why? Because it was a moment of glory for God. You know, it's the will of God for you not to be on the cover of the Rolling Stone magazine, but for Jesus Christ to be on the cover of the Rolling Stone magazine in your life. It's Jesus' purpose that you need to be consumed with, not your purpose. Everything about your life should equate to the summation of what you've done for the kingdom of God. And I pray that you've done enough. I dreamed one time that I died. I I do that occasionally, like everybody else. I might have had pepperoni before I went to bed. I don't know. But I was dying, and someone was holding up my head. And my last words were, I hope I did enough for a good resurrection. And I died. When I woke up, I was quite proud of myself. Great last words. (laughs) So honorable. But it really had some truth to it. I knew I was going to go to heaven. I knew I'd be raptured, but I want a good rapture. Do you know that heaven, man, I need to get off of this, but I'm trying to help you. You know, heaven is a reward-based place. 
greater shall your reward be? A lot of you may hear teachings and preachings that are incorrect where they say, stop asking God for things. Don't stop asking God for things. God loves to be asked for things because he's God. You say, well, how do you feel when your kids are always asking for things? We're men. God is not a human. God is not a... God is the only one of his species. There's nobody like him. You have humans, you have bugs, you've got birds, you've got fish, you've got animals, you've got lions and tigers and bears, oh my, but you've only got one God. He's different. He doesn't think like you. He doesn't have a mind to lie. He says, God is not like a man that he should lie. He likes to be approached for the things that you need in your life. So the fire of purging is misunderstood by immature Christians, and fire is often misunderstood by wicked people. I pray that you get to the place where when bad things start to happen to you, you begin to remember where you came from. God's brought you a long way. He's forgiven you much, hasn't he? Why would he stop now? He is faithful to finish what he has started with you. He started with you a long, long time ago. And he has every intention to be the author and the finisher of your faith. Can you say amen to that? And you say, well, you don't know how sinful I am. Let me say this to you. You probably believe the lie of the devil that you're the most sinful person in this room right now. But that is not true. We can give you a run for your money. I wasn't born and raised in the church, and I have done some very shameful things. And if I asked you to raise your hands, and for those of you that have also done shameful things, you would also raise your hand. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short But because of his mercy, we're fortunate to say that we're not going to get what we deserve. Because if you get what you deserve, we're all going to go to hell. That's what we deserve. But because Jesus stepped in and died on the cross for us, we are not getting what we deserve, but we're receiving grace. He's not a ticked-off God either. You've got to get that out of your head. He is not a moody, ticked-off, to-the-max God. He's not pacing around. One more time. I've had it up to here with you. One more time. Go ahead. One more time. Say it one more time. One more time. That sounds like your mom, right? Sounds like your dad. Go ahead. I dare you. Say it one more time. God's not like that. The Bible says he's long-suffering. In other words, he will wait a long time before he sends the fire. But when he sends the fire, it's not because he's smacking you around. He's going to make you better for it. Can you say amen to that? Let's get back to the bottle. I don't mean Johnny Walker. Let's get back to the the bottle that's in the smoke. Let's put all this together right now. I said before that the bottle was in the smoke, but it never said it was in the fire. You see, the fire went out a long time ago. And the only thing that's left is smolderings, and the smoking of the fire that was there, possibly for you, years ago. You see, the fire is the event that you never got over. It was the rape, the moment you were taken advantage of. That was the fire. But you never did get out of the smoke. You stayed there. 
You see, the fire may be the time when you did something so evil, you said something so evil, that that moment has long gone in the past, you've been forgiven for it, but you don't deserve, you feel, to be happy. You don't deserve to rejoice, so you stay in the smoke, because you don't feel like you deserve to celebrate. You don't deserve to be rejoicing. It's the time of abuse where you felt like you could never get past it. It's the time where you had that cruddy childhood, where your father was an absent father, your mother was always working, or they just weren't there at all, and they were just concerned with themselves. And you're just a latchkey kid, and you never seem to get stuck out of a stage where maybe you've met somebody like this. You've met an adult that maybe he or she is 40, 50 years old, but they act like they're 15. Most of them are guys. <laughs> but they just never seem to grow up. Now, they might have gotten degrees in college. They, they may have a lot of money. They have a big house and cars. But they still have the fears and anxieties of a 15-year-old kid. They get mad like a kid. They fly off the handle like a child. They get mad behind the wheel of a car, of the smallest things. They go off like a teenager. Oh, they, they prance out, and they walk out of a room. <laughs> what are you doing? You're 50 years old. You're acting like a kid. Sometimes an event took place in our life that we never could get over, and we never allowed ourselves to continue with the rest of the crowd. This is a tragedy. But the biggest tragedy is when you don't feel like you deserve not to be punished. I deal with counseling all the time where teenagers cut themselves. Women, the girls in school, they, 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 they cut themselves in places where it can't be seen. They'll hike up their dress just a little bit and slice little pieces of their leg. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't mean to do this just before lunch. Uh, but what I'm trying to say is, is that this, this self-afflicting kind of a thing is because they feel like in, in, intrinsically they deserve it because of what they did. They may have lost their virginity. It wasn't what they thought it was going to be. Uh, it was a horrible experience, and so they can't get past it. I was mentioning during the 9 o'clock service where I used to know a woman that used to be a really a very uh, pronounced uh, exhorter. Uh, nice and loud and, and funny and I saw her after some years and she talked like this just really quiet and I, and I said I, I can't even hear you well, what happened to you she lost her identity she goes I'm the same person what are you talking about I said what am I talking about I can't even hear you you're whispering you used to talk like me so talk like me now she goes well I've learned to listen I said I can't listen to you if I can't hear you she started to cry, and she says, I was raped. And she never wanted to get over it. She felt like she needed to suffer for the rest of her life. And this is a robbery on Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross so that you didn't have to travail, so that you didn't have to live with all these castigating moments. It's Jesus Christ who did it for you. And when you're afflicting yourself because you don't believe that you have a right to be with the rest of us and worship God. I have watched girls and men do terrible things to themselves. They pierce their whole face and their head and they tattoo everything and they call their hair bits and pieces and they look, they cut their hair, it looks like German shepherds bit their head. 
They wear all kinds of whack clothes and they have rips everywhere and, and, and they put the boots and they don't tie them. They walk around and they, and they smoke a stamp and they're drinking the It's like, what happened when you see pictures of them? Like a little girl, she's in a picture, she's like this. With the little, the little teeth are missing, she's got a little dress on. What happened? What happened to you? That tragedy, you're still standing in the smoke. Enough is enough. Step out of the smoke. The fire has passed. The event is over. It's time to go on with Jesus Christ. You know, it's so important for you to get this. To go on with Jesus Christ means that you have chosen life and not death. You know, I know that it's not cool anymore to be a goth, but I remember 10 years ago, the mall was full of goths. Goths had an infinity, real goths, not the fake ones, the real ones, not the make-believe matrix stuff. Not those guys. I'm talking about the real ones, the ones that have an affinity with death, an affinity with cemeteries, wearing black makeup and black everything, and Spiked head like ghost, uh, uh, um, Beetlejuice looking. <laughs> you're not choosing life, you're choosing death. It's a sin to choose death. Choose life. Don't choose cursings, choose blessings. Choose Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth in life. A rich man that lives in the woodlands, I've known him for many, many years, did very well. CEO of something, I can't tell you what it is. His young wife, one day, who had a daughter, just walked out of the house with her purse, locked the door behind her, a motorcycle pulled up. A guy on the motorcycle, he looked like something that crawled out from under a rock. No offense to those of you that own a motorcycle. She gets on the back of that motorcycle and rides off, never to be seen again. Her daughter or her husband. What's the reason? Something bad happened in her past, and she's been standing in the smoke ever since. You never grew up past 15 years old. I wonder, is there somebody here that's still standing in the smoke of your life? My grandchildren like to, we like to go in the backyard with in Frankie's house and cook marshmallows on a long stick. And every now and then the wind will turn awry and blow all the smoke into uh, Presley's face and Lukey's face. They're a little bit older now, they know what to do, but they'd stand there in the smoke, closing their eyes like this, with the long stick and their marshmallow is completely on fire. And then they'd say, Poppy, we can't see. Well, I'll take them and get them on the other side of the fire and get them upwind so that they can see and let the smoke blow away. They stepped out of the smoke. And that's where there's a woman here that needs to step out of the smoke. Enough is enough. How long are you going to mourn? 
your mother passed away, your father passed away, your husband or wife passed away. I, I get that. But Jesus did say, let the dead bury the dead. Come follow me. You still haven't changed anything since they've passed away in the house. You stopped living the day that they passed away. You've got to go on. Because too many of us have missed the will of God in our lives because we refuse to follow Him. You say, I'm following Him, but you haven't moved. I following Him, you're caught in a snare, a trap. I pray in Jesus' name. I pray whatever is going on out there also. Somebody's on fire, some house is going burned down in Jesus' name. If you're stuck in a stage, if you're stuck in a trap, a snare, I'm praying, won't you come out of the smoke? Get out of the smoke. Let's all stand. As I call up Pastor Sarah, I wonder, is there somebody here that would like to come and resolve this matter once and for all? Because many of you should have been teachers and preachers and you should have been further along in your life. God can accelerate your life once you decide to step out of the smoke. You can be where you are supposed to be in days where it would have been years. If you can move immediately in Jesus' name, the fire is out. Step out of the smoke. 